Why do we like to play games of cards, or board games, or video games? Taken objectively, these games are packages of tasks over which we have a lighthearted competition. They take time to play. They require us to think and make decisions. And they are completely unproductive. Why then do they appeal to us so much? I think we like the feeling of reward, the dopamine hit that comes when we make a successful move or make progress toward the objectives in the game. These activities are more or less models of real-world systems and situations, but where everything is comparatively easy to do and the stakes are low. All you have to do is place a card on the table or roll a few dice, and you get to pretend to do things of major consequence, conquering lands, building cities, buying hotels. And when we do, when the dice turn up in our favor, when we take over a space on the board or a place, we place a city token on the table, we get a kick of dopamine. It feels like we have accomplished something, checked something off a list, brought home the bacon, a pat on the back from our subcortical brain. In the previous episode, I told you about how researchers were able to get cultured neurons to interact with a microelectrode array, effectively learning to play Pong. This is about the simplest game of skill imaginable. What games are the most difficult and subtle to master? Perhaps chess or Go? Maybe so, but it seems to me that such games amount to puzzles with an immense number of variables. More computation, effectively more working memory and intelligence, should yield more and more successful play. So we would expect computer programs to keep getting better, ultimately solving such games, as processing power continues to increase. The human brain is at a grave disadvantage here. But aren't there great games that are so clever that computers should be stumped by them? This week I listened to a podcast by Lex Friedman in which he was talking to the machine learning engineer Noam Brown. Brown has recently been involved in artificial intelligence projects aimed at successfully winning No Limit Texas Hold'em Poker and the board game Diplomacy. Winning at most games, whether Monopoly or Chess or Axis and Allies, is pretty much a matter of making optimal moves. It stands to reason that playing optimal moves and optimally planning forward and predicting probabilities is a perfect model world for a computer to master. Relative to, say, recognizing faces or detecting somebody lying, highly variable human world problems, mastering Chess is trivial. You may have noticed that the past few years have seen big improvements in AI, including in producing sensible human-like conversation with so-called chatbots. I play a lot of strategy board games and some modern video games on PlayStation. In the case of video games, technology is featured in the way enemy soldiers or monsters behave. It's generally not necessary for these bots to pursue any particular motives. They just act according to a simple set of rules. The game is made harder if the bots have higher speed or have been programmed with tactics that make them less predictable or otherwise gives them technical advantages. In adventure games with non-player characters, those bots usually just spit out a sentence or two of exposition, which they have been explicitly programmed to provide when interacted with. There is no artificial intelligence to speak of. One can only imagine how much better these games could get with the utilization of AI. Imagine, for example, a non-player character in an adventure game having personality traits and individual goals and certain kinds of information that it may or may not feel like sharing based upon whether it predicts that its own goals will be forward forwarded by doing so. 
After all, that's how real human agents function in the world, isn't it? When it comes to board games, the interactions which occur between players can often involve trade and persuasion and politics of various kinds, with hidden information and so on. A game like Settlers of Catan necessitates trading of resources among players, but it really doesn't require complex negotiation, so I wouldn't be surprised at all by someone coming up with a world-class Settlers of Catan AI that wins way more than it loses. This goes for most games, even complex ones, perhaps especially complex ones, but I'm thoroughly impressed by the work Noam Brown and his colleagues did to solve the game of poker, and I'm doubly impressed, at least, that they were able to win at diplomacy. As far as I'm concerned, if you can win at diplomacy, then you can run a successful business or department of government. Given my experience with strategy board games, if I had to suggest a single game that would be the absolute hardest to conquer by means of AI, it would be diplomacy. Noam Brown and his colleagues published their work on diplomacy in the journal Science. I'll share from an article in the journal describing their work. Since I'm no software engineer, and you probably aren't either, I'm not really in a position to discuss the technical details of the machine learning that was employed, so I won't get into the primary methods or anything. The article describing the work is called AI Learns the Art of Diplomacy by Matthew Hudson, who writes, quote, Diplomacy, many a statesperson has argued, is an art, one that requires not just strategy but also intuition, persuasion, and even subterfuge. Human skills that have long been off-limits to even the most powerful artificial intelligence approaches. Now, an AI algorithm from the company Meta has shown it can beat many humans in the board game diplomacy, which requires both strategic planning and verbal negotiations with other players. The work, researchers say, could point the way toward virtual exercise coaches and dispute mediators. International chatbot diplomacy may not be far behind. These are spectacular new results, says Yoram Bakrak, a computer scientist at DeepMind who has worked on the game Diplomacy, but was not involved in the new research. I'm particularly excited about Diplomacy because it's an exceptional environment for studying cooperative AI, unquote, in which machines don't just compete, but collaborate. AI has already bested humans in games of strategy such as chess, Go, poker, and the video game Dota 2. It is also proving powerful at natural language processing, in which it can generate human-like text and carry on conversations. The game of diplomacy requires both. It involves seven players vying for control of Europe. On each turn, players issue orders regarding the movement of army and naval units, following discussion with other players, whom they can attack or support. Success typically requires building trust and occasionally abusing it." Unquote. In diplomacy, players each control one power, such as Germany or Italy, its territories and its units. In order to win, a player's power must control a large number of additional territories by conquering them through the rounds of play. But unlike Risk or other war games, in diplomacy there are no die rolls to determine success or failure. Instead, successfully taking a province requires having more units of support from other players than the opposing army has. This is achieved through successful negotiation during the diplomatic phase of each round. That's when players literally meet with one another, off to the side, and have discussions with one another. A player can say anything at all during these negotiations, and the rules do not require that players tell the truth or follow through on any agreements they make. So a social economy of reciprocal interactions produces temporary or sustained alliances, trades, compromises, 
and betrayals. And having a bad reputation at the table is a big problem. You need to build trusting relationships in order to meet your long-term objectives. It's no use making an agreeable bot that maximizes trustworthiness, though. That won't work because the object of the game is to have individual control over the most territories. That is a very selfish goal. The kind of trustworthiness which is called for is like what you want in a successful car dealership or a law firm. The primary goal of such an enterprise is to make money. The more, the better. The key to running such an operation is to build up repeat business and to gain a reputation that increases the amount of business you get relative to your competitors. This is subtle stuff. Likewise in international affairs. NATO, for example, is designed to prevent war and provide security for its member nations. But each member state wants to spend as little of its own treasure as possible in support of NATO. The populations of individual nations want their tax money spent on programs that pay off on, uh, for them, on health care and education and infrastructure. Moreover, certain members of NATO may stand to gain more or less from a given policy. So even among allies, there is a tension, a kind of cooperative competition. In the article, Hudson goes on, quote, Meta's AI agent Cicero welds together a strategic reasoning module and a dialogue module. As in other machine learning AIs, the modules were trained on large data sets, in this case, 125,261 games that humans had played online, both the game plays and transcripts of player negotiations. The researchers trained the strategic reasoning module by having the agent play against copies of itself. It learned to choose actions based on the state of the game, any previous dialogue, and the predicted actions of other players, looking several moves ahead. During training, the researchers also rewarded it for human-like play, so that its actions wouldn't confound other players. In any domain, whether dinner table manners or driving, conventions tend to ease interactions. The dialogue module also required tuning. It was trained not only to imitate the kinds of things people say in games, but to do so within the context of the state of the game, previous dialogue, and what the strategic planning module intended to do. On its own, the agent learned to balance deception and honesty. In an average game, it sent and received 292 messages that mimicked typical game slang. For example, one message read, How are you thinking Germany is going to open? I may have a shot at Belgium, but I'd need your help into Denmark next year. Jonathan Gratch, a computer scientist at the University of Southern California who studies negotiation agents and provided early guidance for a defense advanced research projects agency program that is also trying to master diplomacy, notes two technical innovations. First, Cicero grounds its communication in multi-step planning, and second, it keeps its remarks and gameplay within the realm of human convention. To test its skill, the researchers had Cicero play 40 online games against humans, who mostly assumed it was a human. It placed in the top 10% of players who'd played at least two games. In a game that involves language and negotiation that agents can reach human parity is very exciting, says Zhao Yu, a computer scientist at Columbia University who studies dialogue systems, unquote. On the podcast with Lex Friedman, Noam Brown describes something called the Nash Equilibrium. Lex asks him what this is, to which Brown answers, quote, In any finite two-player zero-sum game, there is an optimal strategy that if you play it, you are guaranteed to not lose an expectation no matter what your opponent does, unquote. 
Naturally, Lex asks him what he's meant by in expectation. In reference to poker, Brown says, quote, Even if you are playing the perfect strategy, you can't guarantee you're going to win every single hand. But if you play for long enough, then you're guaranteed to at least break even and in practice probably win, unquote. I gathered from the conversation that something like the Nash equilibrium is still discoverable in multiplayer games. Lex asks Brown how the Nash equilibrium can be found. Brown says, quote, There's different ways to find the Nash equilibrium, so the way that we do it is with this process called self-play. Basically, we have this algorithm that starts by playing totally randomly, and it learns how to play the game by playing against itself. Unquote. This means that the program is updated as it looks at counterfactual situations and converges on the Nash equilibrium. This works even in games that have imperfect information, like poker and diplomacy. Brown explains that self-play is a kind of reinforcement learning, very much like how humans learn to play games. One key difference is that computers have to play millions of games in order to get good, whereas humans can become expert by playing just hundreds or thousands of games. For our purposes, what I find interesting to think about is the reward function. This is the value that the AI is trying to maximize. One major key to producing an effective AI is to properly specify the reward function. This is where I hypothesize that consciousness enters into the milieu, in the case of sophisticated biological agents like us. Consider the game of your life. Like any good strategy game, there are objectives to meet and problems to solve along the way, and we gain knowledge and skill as we face them. In principle, we get better at the game as we play it. But what is the reward function? What are we trying to maximize? If you specify one thing to maximize, you will find that it fails to capture all the things we're trying to achieve. Money, social acclaim, health, productivity, happiness. Are we stamp collecting experiences to complete some bucket list? We are intelligent machines engaged in determining our own purposes. Meanwhile, we are acting on behalf of purposes which we inherit from our lineage. We don't know and maybe don't even need to know what deep motives push us into the pursuits we undertake. There are effectively dozens of different modules in the brain which independently interact with our affective and reward systems. These individual modules have their own reward functions. As a unified conscious mind, you and I are subject to the rewards and the punishments, and we have to make plans and behave to the best of our ability at the nexus of all these competing reward functions. This might be the major function of consciousness. Some neuroscientists talk as if we are possessed by one module at a time, the one that, by being most salient, is able to take over our minds. But that's not really how we work at all. We are not an eater, and then a worker, and then a lover, and so on, in a series. Most of the time, there are many different coexisting things on our minds and explaining our behaviors. This allows us to seek out synergistic solutions to multiple needs, to do things in an efficient sequence. I think the whole confusion and chaos of different implicit reward functions, which can't be resolved, is behind the psychological distresses of anxiety and depression. We don't know what to do, so we either fight, flee, or freeze up. We feel totally powerless to solve the complex network or not work of problems and conditions in front of us. One situation in life that feels free from stress is when we escape into a video game, or a sport, or something which takes up our whole attention. Here we know exactly what the rules are and exactly what the goals are. It feels good to achieve them, even though they aren't real. It's so simple and natural. We love it. It's fun. 
Christ, why couldn't evolution have just made it fun for us to do what our nature demands? Oh yeah, it did. Then we built a whole civilization according to a different set of reward functions, and we populate it like aliens from a far-off primitive world, chimpanzees in cubicles. Sir, the aliens aren't thriving in our world. What should we do? Design games for them to play. Games of war and adventure, hunting and building, survival and trade and cooperation. Games which remind them of their homeland.